listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. There are an awful lot of meals shared in the Gospel according to Luke. Seems one of the things that he really wants to emphasize that unlike the rather more austere John the Baptist, Jesus wasn't at all shy about eating and drinking. Over the course of the Gospel, we see him sharing table with all sorts of people, from Zacchaeus, the despised tax collector, to, in today's reading, a leader of the Pharisees with whom he ate a Sabbath meal. It was a world in which hospitality figured mightily So all of these meals have an even greater significance than they would in our culture. But theirs was also a world that Emerson Powery characterizes as an honor and shame culture. You can see signs of it in today's reading. In that context, an honor and shame culture, Powery notes, avoiding shame is the utmost importance. This is not simply embarrassment. A family's bartering practices or marriage proposals can be negatively affected by a public shaming if the shame is significant enough. There's a lot at stake, in other words, such that to be viewed as honorable was incredibly valued, whereas to be shamed was very, very costly. Jesus knows how embedded this is in his culture. So he was probably not at all surprised to see that at this Sabbath meal he was invited to, the guests chose the places of honor. They moved to the best seats. He responds with what at first sounds like a little bit of strategic advice. He says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Like if you've chosen the prime seat for yourself right close to the bride and groom and the local mayor walks in, you're going to find yourself in the shameful position of being bumped from that great seat down to one at the back of the hall, behind the pillar where you can hardly see. What would it feel like, especially in an honor and shame culture, what would it feel like to have to stand and very publicly move through the wedding party while your seat has been taken for somebody of greater honor? It's not just embarrassing, but shameful. Because in being dishonored like that, you feel that something is being said about your very person. So instead of risking that, Jesus says, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may, may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of those who sit at table with you. Now, we don't know what the Pharisees made of this bit of advice that he gave. Maybe some of them just thought to themselves, well, that's an unusual strategy to take the lowest place, while others might have just dismissed it out of hand. After all, why would you set yourself in a a less honorable place, claim the place of honor? 
I wonder, though, if any one of them sitting there heard the deeper meaning and challenge that Jesus was actually trying to convey. Because, you know, Luke is very clear. This is not just advice on how to navigate seating in a shame culture. It's a parable. And what do parables do? Well, they take a story or sometimes a set piece like this one, this image of the wedding banquet, and in the telling of them, they unsettle our judgments and our assumptions. Sometimes parables do it with a kind of a hard-to-miss clarity. Parable of the Good Samaritan, pretty hard to miss what he's getting at there. But just as often, they do it in a more subtle way, sometimes in a way that's intended to kind of burrow into the soul and in a most disarming way. So what's at work in this parable? Well, the closing line is the key. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's the context into which Jesus is speaking? Because it's clearly not just a challenge about banquet etiquette. N.T. Wright offers the following insight. He says, the rest of the chapter makes it clear that Jesus is talking about the way in which people of his day were jostling for positions in the eyes of God. The real meaning is to be found in the warning against pushing oneself forward in the sight of God. In Jesus' day, it was all too easy for the well-off and legally trained to imagine that they were superior in God's sight superior to the poor, to those without the opportunity to to study, let alone practice the law. To place yourself before God based on your learning, your piety, your good behavior, your status, your adherence to the particularities of your religious tradition, your achievements, that's all a blind alley. Place yourself before God in frank honesty about who you are? That's a different matter altogether. And so, the inimitable Robert Ferrer Capon comments, At this dinner party, Jesus has found himself in the presence of a bunch of certified solid brass winners establishment types who are positive they've got all the right tickets religious and otherwise, and who think a fun evening consists of clawing your way to the top of the social heap. Therefore, when Jesus addresses his host, he's principally concerned to redress the imbalance he feels all round him, to assert once again his conviction that a life lived by winning is a losing proposition. A life lived by winning a losing proposition. Winning is a losing proposition because in the Gospels, death is the engine of grace. Jesus' death turns out to be not the bitter end his disciples thought it was, but a whole new beginning. We too are resurrected in the resurrection of Jesus, but that also means dying, dying to self. Now, that's a hard phrase, dying to self, because it can sometimes feel like it requires an endless cycle of self-denial, a sort of impossibly 
impossibly difficult and disciplined squelching of anything pleasant or attractive. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. But that's clearly not what a Jesus who feasts is requiring. After all, this Jesus eats and drinks in such abundance that he has actually scandalized the moral police of his day. No, dying to self ultimately means acknowledging that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make God love us less. What's required is simply a willingness to drop our illusions, drop dead to our illusions, that we can make ourselves just or righteous before God, that somehow we can be righteous enough to earn that prime seat at the wedding banquet. We can't, and we don't have to. Yet he does offer the host of that Sabbath meal a serious challenge as to what dying to self might actually look like when you live it out. He says to him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you back in return, and you'd be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We are invited by Christ, the inveterately hospitable party host, to come freely and truthfully to the table. We're invited week by week to his communion table, but even more in the fullness of time we shall be invited to take our places at what the writer of the book of Revelation calls the wedding supper of the Lamb. In the meantime, to again cite N.T. Wright, party guests are expected to become party hosts in turn. Party guests are expected to become party hosts in turn. We have been invited to the feast, and there is an expectation that we in our turn become hosts to others. What that looks like will be a little different in each of our own lives. For some, it might actually be inviting some poor or broken or lonely people into your home for a dinner. For others, it might be something quite different, the kind of party, the kind of spirit that you pour into those around you. Let this gospel burrow into your soul to do its work its work of unsettling our assumptions and challenging our usual judgments. And from there, start planning your version of the party. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba.